So the first quote is kind of a, uh, an introduction to these three chapters. Many have considered evangelism and stewardship of both time and money to be spiritual disciplines. As you recall, um, our former statement of faith had a statement in there about um, giving being a fundamental of the faith. And while I wouldn't elevate it to quite that level, it is an important part of the Christian life. And so that's, that's where some of these things are coming in. There certainly are elements here that involve discipline, and there are biblical principles and promises that would rightly lead us to think of these as means of grace in some real sense. However, I find it most helpful to treat mission, time, and money together as disciplines and pursuits that are first and foremost effects of our regular hearing of God's Word, having His ear, and belonging to His body. Receiving God's ongoing grace for our souls sustains us, inspires us, and empowers us for evangelism and stewardship. And when we talk about the clock in chapter 21 and the dollar in chapter 20, it may be most helpful to do so within the framework of the Great Commission. So, do you agree? Do you feel like sharing the gospel, um, how we use our money and how we use our time, are those separate spiritual disciplines from word, prayer, and fellowship, or are they connected to and flowing out of them in some way? Okay. 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 That's true. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, so they're they're definitely closely related to some of these other things. What else? If I understand him correctly, he's basically saying this. He's saying something like word prayer, fellowship, that those three things then flow into if I can spell this morning, evangelism, how we use our money, how we use our time. So, I mean, I think that's probably a helpful way of looking at it. So, I just wondered if anybody had any different thoughts. I don't, I don't think it's something we necessarily need to have a long discussion about. He says, we'll only go so deep with Jesus until we start yearning to reach out. When our life in Him is healthy and vibrant, we not only ache to keep sinking our roots down deep in Him, but we also want to stretch out our branches and extend His goodness to others. One of the, one of the challenges that I think has been an ongoing uh, reality in churches like ours that have a long heritage of good preaching is that sometimes it's possible for us to become content with merely receiving and not with giving back out. So, if we have sort of adopted that mindset, then it would look like this. I come and I hear God's Word and, you know, I, I say, okay, that's true. Sometimes my heart might be stirred. But then I'm not going out during the week and saying, all right, so how can I encourage this person with the truth? How can I admonish this person with what God has said they ought to be doing? How can I tell this person Jesus came and died and you need to trust in Him? And so 
if our if we look at receiving the word as the end goal we're never going to arrive at evangelism but if we see um, the whole picture of what God's trying to accomplish in us then that should stir us toward evangelism as well and so um, I think it was in trying to remember which chapter it was that we were looking at here. I feel like he's revisiting some of the uh, the things that we had talked about in earlier chapters and it's one of those it's one of those vague feelings and I can't remember the specific page that it was on. I feel like this ties into what he was saying with, for example, the Lord's table, right? So there is a there's an element of this isn't just something that we're doing that's disconnected from God's whole plan of what he's doing with the church in the course of history this is something where God has done this work in us and, and we long for him to do that same that same kind of work in other people as as well um, so do you do you feel like you ever struggle with this like do you feel like some weeks you feel like I've heard God's word and that's a good thing and so I've checked off the box and so now I can go do these other things that I really got to do during the week What are some of the things that might cause us to, as Bob mentioned, forget the blessings that we have in Christ? Okay, busyness. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Okay. Yeah, so busyness might be like our job, and then cares might be when we're sick, when somebody else is sick, when, you know, unexpected things come up in life. Um, some of that may flow out of a failure to connect what we're talking about on Sunday with those other things in the course of our daily lives. So, um, if we hear truth on Sunday and we look it over again Sunday afternoon, we talk about it Sunday night, and then we come to Monday and we're like, okay, new week. And we don't think about the things that we just talked about the day before, um, which, is, which is a challenge sometimes, right? Then that is then going to contribute to us 
not following through on these things. Yes? Not, not even just what was on Sunday. Obviously, that's a, that's a stepping stone, so to speak, for the week. But one of the things I noticed in my life is if the only exposure, the only communion I have with God is Sunday morning and Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that's the only thing I'm going to need. So let's just, you know, be clear and specific. If I am distracted during the course of the week about some particular interest of mine, and that's what's filling my heart and mind, then word is going to be lacking. And in turn, I'm not going to see opportunities for evangelism. So, for example, if I'm spending... I don't know, two hours a night watching TV. And then I'm not going to necessarily be in a frame of mind to uh, this opportunity comes up. I need to share the gospel because the gospel is not what's saturating my heart and mind at that point. It's the fact that I was, you know, filling my mind with TV or a book or a hobby or sometimes even a good thing like some project that you need to do around the house or some particular goal that you have could be something with fitness, could be whatever else, if that becomes the thing that's consuming most of your time, instead of putting the most important things first, and he's going to talk about this in the chapter on time, if these are the things that fill in the, 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 the empty spaces after all the other stuff happens in the week, there's not going to be a whole lot of time for these things, which means we're not going to be probably ready to do evangelism in the way that God calls us to do it. So just some some background stuff that I wanted us to think about. In what, uh, possibly, what, what are you thinking? Okay. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, and and as we continue this discussion on discipleship, discipleship, there's an element of giving up things, right? So we tend to want to, and this is the struggle we have when we're little kids, right? I want to, well, not want, I have to clean my room, do my homework, take care of these other things my parents have told me, I also want to read a book, play a game, build a thing out of Legos, whatever else it might be. I also want to enjoy food. I also want to stay up to a certain time. The reality of life is you're not going to check all those boxes every day. And when we become older, we replace things like building with Legos with things like working on our car or building a piece of furniture or fixing something that's broken in the house or learning how to cook something, or whatever else it might be. But the reality is, I can't do all of those things every single day. And so, um, we have to say, what's the most important things that God's calling me to do? So he talks about, uh, with regard to 
the concept of disciple-making. He talks about two passages from Matthew. He talks about first Matthew 4.19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then Matthew 28.19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. He says, it's not surprising we typically think of disciple-making as one-sided. The older, more mature Christian is giving of his time and energy to intentionally invest in a younger believer. The discipler's own enjoyment of the means of grace, word, prayer, and fellowship serves to fuel him spiritually for pouring out into others. However, disciple-making is the very stuff of Christian fellowship, and every believer indwelt by God's Spirit can be a channel of God's grace to anyone else. Sometimes we think that it's just an age thing, like if this person is, in terms of years on the clock, older than this other person, they automatically are more mature and have the teaching role. And, following up on that, sometimes we assume that the person that is more mature spiritually is the, is the one that always has to be doing the teaching, right? But what the point that he's making is, if God's at work in you, God can be at work in you in a way that encourages other people around you. So, if you are the one who is primarily doing teaching or helping other people, don't be arrogant and assume that God's not going to use them to correct and rebuke and encourage and help you. And, don't look at it strictly in terms of, like, age years. Look at it in terms of spiritual maturity. How, then, is God's grace a part of disciple-making? He talks about four ways. First of all, Disciple-making shows us our smallness and God's bigness. We can argue about whether that's a word or not, but I think we get the point, right? One memorable refrain I've heard over and over again in campus outreach circles is to think big, start small, and to go deep. Think big, God's global glory among all the nations. Start small, focus on a few like Jesus did. Go deep, invest a depth in those few so deeply that they will be equipped and prepared to do the same in the lives of others. So here's the question. Disciple the nations, that's a big goal, right? So, how does the advice to start with a few make the task more doable? No, it's not a trick question. Bob? So, if you invest six months into three people, yeah. and then now four of you can invest six months in three people, yeah. and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, yeah. The exponential uh, latitude that you create is beyond. Sure. Okay, yeah, so um, so we think about 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things you've received of faithful men, pass those on to others. There's, a, there's some more handouts in front of you there, Jared, if you want to grab one. Um, there, is, um, there is a sequence, like a succession, and then there is also the multiplication that you're talking about. And so... If we don't do the succession side of it, the church dies out because we haven't passed on the truth to the next generation. If we don't do the multiplication side of it, the church also dies out because um, in the same way that populations rise and fall. 
you need more than just like one and one and one and one and one for something to, to succeed, right? And I think the, the parallel that they draw to what Jesus did is helpful because if Jesus, who is perfect, picked 12 disciples and not a thousand, there's probably something to be said for the value of a, an accessible group for teaching purposes, right? And that's a, that's a, a, a pattern or a principle kind of idea, not a command. But I think there is some wisdom in what we see in it. Um, obviously, we're not Jesus. We don't do everything exactly the way that Jesus did it. But I, I think they do have a good point there. And, and what's the advantage of this idea of going deep, of, of investing deeply in a few people instead of superficially in, in 50 or 100? Okay. So the deeper you go, the more likely the, it's going to sustain, it's going to be used for many years. Okay. Good. What else? Why is it important to invest deeply in a few people, or why could that be helpful for the task? Just think about it practically. If you're one person, how many people can you realistically know in an in a in-depth way? Right. So, I mean, there's, there's, so looking at it from my perspective, I have a responsibility to be aware of what's going on in your lives. But I'm not there with you. 168, is that how many hours there is in a week? Uh, the way that you might be with another person who's a member of this church, your spouse, your kids, or whatever. And so, you know, I, there's, a, there's an element to which, for purposes of the church, it would be great if we all spent all the time together doing this sort of thing, but there are things which interfere with that. And so, from a practical perspective, if you all are equipped, if I can pass on to you any of the things that I've learned, and then you're equipped to pass on those things to other. that's much more effective for ministry than either, and this has sometimes happened in the history of the church, either me setting myself up as the person like, keep coming to me, keep coming to me, keep coming to me, because then the pastor gets burned out and quits and whatever, or he dies and stuff hasn't been passed on, or, or some other thing intervenes, and that's not good for the life and health of the church either. And so... Um, and it's not just for the pastor. All of us are supposed to be passing on truth and things that God has encouraged and, and, and worked in our lives. Um, so it shows our smallness and God's bigness. There's this huge, great task that God is doing, but our piece of it is comparatively small. That doesn't mean our piece of it is unimportant. It just means we don't have to feel the weight of, I have to individually, personally, disciple every person in every nation in the whole world. But I do have a responsibility to disciple the people that are right around me, right? So, then this idea of disciple-making challenging us to be holistic Christians. 
Good disciple making requires both intentionality and relationality. Being strategic and being social, most of us are bent one way or the other. We're naturally relational but lacking in intentionality, or we find it easy to be intentional but not relational. It's not just friend to friend, and it's not just teacher to student. How does this affect how you approach discipleship in our church? Making an assumption here that we would agree that what he's saying is true. So, biblical example-wise, there were times when Jesus formally instructed crowds, and there were times when he just had conversations with the disciples. So that's the point, that's sort of the underlying premise of what he's saying there. If that's true, how does that affect how we approach discipleship in our church? Okay. So let me ask it this way. If, if what he's saying is true, should we feel like as long as we have classes every week, discipleship is happening? No. On the other hand, there are some churches that take it to the other extreme. They're like, no classes, just hang out a lot, right? There's an element of both because we need truth as the content of, we, we need the content of the truth of the gospel, of the implications of the gospel, all of those sorts of things, to be the thing that we are encouraging and admonishing one another about. So we need to be keep coming back to God's Word and learning more about God's Word from that perspective. But there are a lot of things about a classroom setting that are not the most effective for either knowing what's going on in people's lives, uh, speaking specifically to the needs that they have, or, or just you know being brutally honest about our sin, right? Because you're not in a group this size going to say, you know what, last night I was, I mean most of us wouldn't, <laughs> last night I was, you know, angry at my kids, so I yelled at them, and so then I felt bad about it, so I went and had some ice cream and watched TV for an hour, and then I couldn't sleep because I was still thinking about all of these sorts of things, so... I went and I, I, I wasted time with some pointless project that I've been working on in the basement. If this sounds like personal testimony, it's not about last night. I won't say it's about ne never in the course of my life. We usually aren't that upfront with each other, right? So that's where smaller contexts are helpful. Brothers at arms, one-on-one, -on -one, hey, let's grab coffee or, or do lunch together or, or get together at some other time during the week, guys with guys, ladies with ladies, um, or larger group setting, what we do on Sunday nights, or the whole group setting, what we do on Sunday mornings, or kind of an in-between, what we're doing right now. I think all of these things are helpful in discipleship in our church, but any one of them by themselves is insufficient to accomplish the task. So... And all of us are going to be better at one than the other. There are some of us that would happily stand up in front of people and talk for an hour, but if we had to sit down with one person and talk for an hour, we're like, that's horribly intimidating, I could never do that. So it's not necessarily saying you have to change your personality so much as you have to be ready and willing to participate in both aspects of discipleship. So um, any other thoughts on that point before we move on to the next one?
Good, good, yeah. And there is the reality, too, that God changes us in the course of this, right? Think about Peter, for example. Think about Peter when Jesus met him versus Peter right after he denied Christ versus Peter on the day of Pentecost versus Peter and his admonition in his letters at the end of his life. God changes us over the course of our lives. God gives us opportunity over the course of our lives but we need to be willing to participate in those opportunities as they come up. Third thing, discipleship, disciple-making makes us more aware of our sin. Paul talks about sharing his life in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. That's the passage where he says we were, we were willing to share not only the gospel, but also our own lives, our own selves with you. This was, a, this was probably one of the ones that was most thought-provoking for me. Most of us do life alone so much more than is necessary. So, uh, what does this look like in the context of our marriages? We live in the same house. I have my things that I like. You have your things that you like. And we're in the same place. We gather for meals, you know, that sort of thing. But, even the things that our culture views as doing things with people are often not actually with people. It's like, you know, if, if two people are, are watching TV or if two people are sitting next to each other looking at stuff on their phones or if two people are, you know, whatever. We're in the same place, but proximity is not the same thing as doing things together. So, when Paul says sharing his life, he's saying, I preach the gospel to you, and then I was around you so much that there was not just a um, like a teacher-student relationship, there was a, a love and a family and affection kind of relationship. So he says, most of us do life alone so much more than is necessary, but in disciple-making we ask, how can we live the Christian life together? How can I give this younger Christian access to my real life, not some triumphal facade I put on once a week? It marks the death to much of our privacy. We bring that one or few in whom we are investing into the process and mess of our sanctification as we enter into theirs. Thoughts on whether that's a good or a bad thing? Do you agree with what he's saying there? What's different between that and the way that we usually approach life on, a, on our normal patterns? I see your hand. I'm waiting to see I if know. any of the other I'm people. Too, <laughs> Corey. Corey.
No, that that makes sense. Jonathan, you were going to say something. So what does that look like for us if we don't live next to each other? <laughs> okay. So just practically speaking, um, if, if we think that it's a good thing to be more involved in one another's lives, we have to think about how to make that happen. So, um, and some of our hesitation comes in with, for the same reason that we're hesitant to let our kids help us with stuff, it will take more time, it may not happen exactly the way that we want it to happen. You know, those sorts of things. But, I mean, ultimately, it's not like you really want to be the one mowing the yard forever, right? Or the one doing the laundry forever. Or um, the, the one carrying heavy things in and out forever, right? At some point, you're going to need your kids to help you with that stuff. And more importantly, in the church, at some point, we have to pass the baton on to others. So, um, whether it is the, uh, we shouldn't have an attitude of perfectionism when it comes to people being involved in things in the church or when it comes to having people be in the course of our lives, which then leads to the question that I have written down there. How, what's the balance then between being honest and open with people and telling people things or showing people things in a way that undermines your ability to encourage and admonish them because they're like, well, they're worse sinners than I am, so why should I listen to them? So, so what's the balance in those things between authenticity, which is something that's kind of trumpeted in our society, versus the other extreme of like being completely closed off? What's sort of the biblical balance with that? Okay.
So there's an element of confessing our sins to each other, right? Evan. Okay. Okay. Good. If it, if we're doing something to make ourselves feel better, then we're probably going to tell people more than we ought in a way that's not helpful. Good. Uh, I got to move on to the next two. So, so uh, actually one. And then we can come back to it. So, fourth, disciple-making teaches us to lean heavier on Jesus. Disciple-making hems us in, exposes our failures, and teaches us to draw our daily strength, not from ourselves, but from Jesus and the gospel, which are the essence of disciple-making. The gospel is the baton to be passed. This is the content, the deposit of truth, passed down from one spiritual generation to the next. This is the treasure in us we work to build into other jars of clay. We disciple not to clone ourselves, not to reproduce our idiosyncrasies and personal hobby horses. So when he says this, what hobby horses might we be guilty of passing on to others instead of getting them to rejoice in and proclaim Jesus? While you think about that, let me give you an example. Maybe it'll spur your thinking. So when I was in high school, Going into college, one of the big things that I had done a lot of thinking about was the idea of God's sovereignty. And if you take that in isolation from everything else in Scripture and you, you, you make that the one thing that you're going to talk to people about, God's in control, God's sovereign, you know, all those sorts of things, it can skew your perspective on everything else. That's a truth. But like when we look at God's attributes, there's a whole bunch of other things that are true about God. And... There's a whole bunch of other things that God says to us in the Bible. So that's not the only thing that the Bible says. And so if I approach the Bible in a way that's like, this is the one and only thing that you ought to get out of the Bible instead of letting the Bible 
as I go through it, speak into the situations of life, then that's not going to be helpful. And if I then teach someone else to approach things that same way, then it's going to be like, that's the thing, right? It could be an overemphasis on God's sovereignty, if that's possible. Usually that's not where we land. It could be a, an overemphasis on something like being a Baptist. It could be an overemphasis on, and those are more like the, theological things. It could be a, a, a personal preference kind of thing. And this could, this could range from the unimportant, like which side of the plate does the fork go on, to like the slightly more important, here's some other house rule that we have for things to run functionally and smoothly, to a particular idea about um, the way that things should be in the church or our Christian life that we hold to strongly, but that we don't have direct biblical support for, and so we need to be a little bit less emphatic about it because the further we get out from the core of the gospel, the more tentative and gracious toward other people we have to be. So what does that look like for you? What are some particular things that you think would be examples of things that you might pass on to people that would not be the main thing or the most important thing? Okay. Okay. Sometimes we're lacking in those things. What else? Okay. Okay, and 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 why why what so how does that tie in with with what we've talked about in the past with what God wants us to do? Love God and love other people. Why is that not the right way to go about it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. Jared, do you have something?
I think a lot of these things flow out of our personal experiences, right? Something is probably really important to you because you've had to think about it a lot or you had intense discussions with people about it in the course of our lives, those sorts of things. And so the important thing from this last point is to remember the thing that we are supposed to be passing on is Christ, not our preferred ways of doing things or all those sorts of things, which is not to say there's, there's not right and wrong ways of doing things, but it's simply to say if the focus is on me and making a copy of me, we're missing the point. If the focus is on Jesus and making them more like Jesus, that's the point. And ideally it's what Paul says, right? Follow me as I follow Christ. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. So we can, we can talk more about this next week because there's probably some more things we could talk about. But, but just think about this. If we have a right emphasis on God's word, on relating to God in prayer, on gathering with, and, and on gathering with one another in fellowship, that ought to naturally flow out into making disciples, evangelism, all of those sorts of things as we follow God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look at these truths. We pray that you would burden our hearts to pass them on to other people, see the amazing task you've set before us, to see how we fall short in that task, to see how sometimes we're prone to um, getting excited or getting other people excited and stirred up about things other than you. And, and I pray that you just help us to disciple in a way that honors you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.